to high truths on drugs and addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. Hey there, we have another amazing episode ahead. Today, we will talk about children. To quote Whitney Houston's song, Greatest Love of All, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. And how are we leading our children? How are America's children faring when it comes to drugs? Monitoring the Future provides annual data on drug trends for 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. For 8th graders, mostly 12 and 13-year-olds, lifetime drug use increased to 21.3% in 2020 compared to 18.2% in 2017. That's not such a good trend. We also know that the pandemic has increased drug overdose deaths and drug and alcohol use. Is there a parallel in children? On this episode, we will learn from an expert pediatrician who sees children, kids, and babies who are exposed to drugs. Our high truths question is from Diana Edelstein, who loves and is concerned about children. Thank you for sharing high truths each week. My name is Diana Edelstein. My question is, What type of drug-related illnesses are presenting at Children's Hospital, and has the pandemic changed things for kids? Thank you, Diana, for your question. And to answer it, I went to our local Children's Hospital in San Diego, the only one in the region, and spoke to an expert. And our pediatric expert for today is Dr. Natalie Laub, a pediatrician who specializes in child abuse and was recruited to start a child abuse fellowship in the San Diego region. Dr. Laub's bio is available on the High Truth show notes. Child abuse and drugs are an interesting combination, and we are sure to have an interesting discussion. Dr. Natalie Laub, welcome to High Truths. Thank you so much for having me. We are very excited to have you and to have really talk about pediatric expertise uh, on drugs. So you are a, a pediatrician who is also an expert in child abuse, and that is a specific uh, specialty. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So what that means is I went to medical school and then I did residency in general pediatrics and I became board certified in general pediatrics. But during my pediatrics residency, I became really interested in children who were in these vulnerable populations. So children who were drug exposed or drug endangered, uh, children who had been victims of child abuse and neglect. And so I decided to do a fellowship, which is three extra years of training in a subspecialty known as child abuse pediatrics. And so now I'm a board certified child abuse pediatrician. And what that means is that for the county of San Diego and beyond, I am considered an expert in all things related to child abuse and neglect. This can be physical abuse. This can be sexual abuse, general neglect, drug endangered children, and sex trafficking. Wow. 
Um, so that's pretty heavy duty material with, uh, with kids. How does that affect you emotionally? It is very hard when you're in this field. I think you have to have a really strong sense of resilience and you have to have a really good team that you're surrounded with because, you know, on any given day, we can see dozens of children, young children who have been sexually abused. We can see multiple children who have been physically abused, as well as children who have overdosed and died or almost died from drug ingestions. So we see quite a spectrum of tragic things that happen to children. I think one of the things that keeps us going at the end of the day is we are here to try to protect these children. And we are working within a system that is identifying dangers towards children and trying to improve that system to help keep children as safe as possible. And, and I think that that's, that's true in my profession. As an emergency physician, people ask, well, how could you do that? That's like you're seeing the worst kind of things that happen, but, but I'm doing something about it. And that's rewarding. Just to have watch tragedy on the outside is, is, you know, if I'm watching it in a movie, it feels terrible. But if I'm at work doing, working on a trauma or working on a person who, who has a problem, um, you feel good that you're, you're, you're making a difference. And it is challenging to talk about. So when people ask me what I do, I actually usually don't say child abuse pediatrics. I usually just say I'm a pediatrician because when you tell someone that you're you deal day in and day out with child abuse, it's either very hard for them to hear because they've been victims of abuse themselves. One in four girls in the United States has been the victim of some sort of sexual assault and one one in 20 boys. And so, you know, when we're talking about these things, you know, I don't want to bring up things that may be triggering to people or, um, be distressing to people. And it's a very hard thing to talk about. So when, you know, friends and family and other people, you know, I don't know, like in passing say, Oh, tell me it is what you do. I honestly, I I say I'm a pediatrician (laughs) because saying I'm a child abuse pediatrician, I get this look like, Oh, what does that, what does that even mean? Right. Um, yeah, sometimes you don't want to open up that can of you worms unless they're really. You don't. You don't uh, have enough time. Really <laughs> yeah, there's right. not enough time to talk about what I do. <laughs> so it's interesting because in high truth we talk about drugs, and you're a pediatrician. What is the uh, the intersection there of, of of kids who are exposed to drugs, and is that child abuse? Yeah, there's a huge intersections of practicing pediatric medicine mm-hmm. and drugs that are kids that are exposed to drugs. So there's kids that are exposed to drugs comes in a variety of forms, right? There's children who are exposed to drugs even before they're born because their mother is doing drugs. There are children who are exposed to drugs after they are born because the environment they are in has drug paraphernalia and substances that they get into. And then there's children who are exposed to drugs because they're young adults And they are either experimenting with drugs or they've grown up in a situation where drugs are prevalent. And when there's a heavy presence of drugs, we know that children are uh, have a greater chance of growing up to become addicted to drugs. So pediatricians in general 
play a huge role in trying to prevent drug addiction all the way from infancy through the teenage years, whether that be figuring out if a child is safe or if the child is a drug endangered child or doing drug prevention training and education towards preteens and teenagers about addiction and what addiction looks like and what trying different drugs could do. No, I think it's so important to get that into the pediatric anticipatory guidelines. So, you know, we we know when kids are born, they're learning to crawl. Uh, they take away things that are, you know, poisonous things from your cabinets or lock them up so they can't reach them or put them in their mouth. Or when you're learning to ride your bicycle, you should put on a helmet. Um, and addiction starts in middle school. Um, and, and that is a time that we really need to to educate on on prevention. Right. And one of my areas of focus right now is actually looking at the younger children, the zero to five age child, and trying to understand why are these children getting into drugs? And what is the prevalence of children under the age of five who are getting into their parents' drugs? And what do outcomes look like for those children to have been exposed to drugs so early. Because when I see a child, by the time I'm made aware of that child, they've already overdosed on a drug. And so by the time I'm in the picture, that first step of prevention has failed um, because the child is in the hospital or critically ill from getting into their parents' drugs. And so then the question is, well, what next? What do we do now to prevent this from happening again? And then system-wise, looking back and saying what could have been ha- what could have happened to prevent this from happening at all? Like what interventions needed to have occurred before this child had a fatal or near-fatal drug overdose? So, Dr. Lab, I have to repeat this because I think our audience would be, you know, their mouth may be hanging open now because we think about children getting into drugs, we, we, we think of uh, middle age. And you're talking about kids zero to five years old. I mean, how common is that? So, unfortunately, it's becoming much more common. We have seen a slight increase over the years as marijuana and THC products have become legalized. The one of the kind of consequences of legalization of marijuana is children getting into that marijuana, young children. We're not talking teenagers and middle schoolers who are experimenting. We're talking infants, toddlers, babies. So that's one of the problems. And the other problem is opioids, the sheer volume of opioids that are in households in America is astounding. And children are getting into these opioids. I was really interested in this question too of, well, what has COVID-19, how has that affected illicit ingestions of children under the age of five across the country? Because Anecdotally, at my prior institution where I worked, when shelter in place went into effect in March 2020, about six weeks into that shelter in place, we had seen a 36% increase in children being admitted to the hospital for ingest, ingestion of illegal substances, methamphetamine, wow. fentanyl, heroin, and where was that? Where was that, that was in Philadelphia. So that was just prior to me 
coming and working for the UCSD system. So some of my colleagues and I across the country decided to look at this nationally and say, what is going on? Is this a phenomenon that's only occurring in one city? Or are children all the way across the country experiencing similar outcomes? And so we actually looked at data and we compared data from 2018, 2019, and 2020. And we have seen a 21% increase nationally starting in March 2020 of children under the age of five ingesting uh, illegal substances. So there has been a market increase since COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. And this has been sustained, this increase in ingestions um, up until the point that we have data for. That, That would make sense because if we know the adult mortality has gone up tremendously in the exposure, then, you know, it would make sense that the pediatric population is exposed as well. And, and just to clarify, when you're talking about all these increases, is it's, it's in children under the age of 18 or the younger ones? Under the age of five. (gasps) Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's the babies. So, so these babies, they're not drug addicts. (laughs) They don't have a substance use disorder. They're kids who are crawling around on the ground and gotten into mom or dad's stash. Yes. So it takes a very, very, very small amount of a substance such as heroin or fentanyl to kill a child. And all it takes is a a small amount of fentanyl powder or crystals or It can be on the surface of something. It can be in the air. It can be left on a needle. It can be in pill form. There are infinite amount of ways that a child could get into their parents' drugs. And that is what we're seeing. We are seeing a dramatic increase in fentanyl overdoses here locally, which like you said, makes sense because death rates among adults have doubled in the past year for fentanyl overdoses. Tripled in San Diego. Tripled, tripled. Oh my gosh, tripled in San Diego. So it makes sense that we are seeing a dramatic increase in children also overdosing, young children, right? Babies and infants also overdosing on these same drugs. We call it exploratory ingestions. That means these children, they don't know what they're doing. They're crawling around. They get something on their hand. They're licking the floor. I mean, we know children, they eat everything. They lick everything. They put everything in their mouth. And so this increase, I think, is very alarming, um, especially the dramatic increase we've seen since uh, nationally since COVID-19 became a pandemic. And and that's how I got connected to you, Natalie. I chair a uh, committee in San Diego called CREDO, Community Response to Drug Overdoses, where we connect the three Ps, public health, public safety, and prevention. And at uh, one of these meetings, a district attorney uh, mentioned uh, babies that were overdosing on fentanyl. And we were like, 
what babies like what does that happen and they told us cases of you know baby found down paramedics come and they start cpr and they give epinephrine and they put them on a ventilator and they go to a hospital and the hospital transferred them to a pediatric hospital the children's hospital and there the baby is found to be positive for fentanyl and wakes up with naloxone and we uh, realize that we need to alert the EMS and medical community with that and um, really thank you for that because you were able to write up these cases and we were able to present it to the EMS community and bring that alert and it and it worked because we explained that uh, and, and you so eloquently said it's not it's ABCs airway breathing and circulation but also D for for drugs and um, I think within a short time we had more cases of of, of babies you know uh, sucking on a straw or something happening and they go down and uh, the word was out to give naloxone to babies so really thank you for that yeah, that's so important. What we're seeing is when a when a previously healthy child with no medical conditions suddenly becomes limp, lifeless, or isn't breathing, and you call a first-line responding team, whether it's police, EMS, firefighters, they're not thinking this is a drug, right? They're not, they're, they're, we are not programmed for our first thought to be unresponsive child drug overdose, right? Unresponsive young right. child drug overdose. We just don't think like that. And now it's so apparent, actually, the number one cause of a child who was previously healthy, who was found unconscious is drug overdose, and so that should be the first thing that any first responder, any family member, anyone who observes a child who is suddenly blue and unresponsive or has altered mental status is not acting right. Their first thought should be a drug ingestion. And the first thing that should be given is Narcan. You know, we've had babies who have had multiple hours of CPR and no one knows why this baby won't breathe. And it turns out to be fentanyl. And so Narcan yeah. would have immediately saved their life. And so we need to try to add that now into like the resuscitation narrative for people who are responding to infants found down and children found down, because yes, you have to focus on their airway. You have to focus on their circulation and their breathing, but you also have to be like, should, I need to immediately give Narcan <laughs> because that right. is the highest on the differential diagnosis or the list of things that cause this baby to suddenly collapse. So if we, we're doing a pretty good job of like writing a lot of prescription from naloxone, um, getting it out in the community and teaching people, and there's videos out there how to put it in the nose what if you have a baby? Is it the same adult dose? It's, they don't make baby size naloxone. Do you just give the same amount if you're zero years old and five years old or, or a hundred years old? <laughs> well, so here's my take on that. It is different dosing. It's based on weight. So in an adult, there is a standard size or a, a, adults are all assumed to be a standard size based on the naloxone dosage that is given in naloxone and Narcan kits. 
With children, however, if that children is going to die, if you don't give Narcan, my advice is don't worry about the dose. Give the Narcan if you only have a Narcan kit available and you can't figure out how much the baby weighs and you don't know how much to give. It's worse if you don't give it. It's worse if you don't give what you have. You actually can't hurt a child by giving them more Narcan than they need. What we actually see is people underdosing Narcan. So people saying, oh, I don't know how much to give. I don't want to give too, too much. And then they don't give enough. And then that baby doesn't wake up. And then they say, oh, it must not be opioids. But the reality is they didn't give enough Narcan. And so it's never wrong to give the Narcan you have. Right. And with the fentanyl, you need repeated doses. And if you think about how naloxone work, it works on, um, you know, taking opiates out of those opioid receptors. So you can't give too much. You're not going to overdose. Um, You're not going to hurt someone by giving too much naloxone. Um, But you can hurt if you don't give enough. So if you just, you know, panicking and nothing is more nothing causes more anxiety to, to someone than seeing a baby who who's in distress. Um, and then you just kind of freak out and don't know what to do. Just do the adult dosing, just give it all call 911. Yep. Um, right. And, uh, and maybe we need some videos out there for education on that, if that's becoming a, a thing and maybe we could work together on something like that just to, to teach that. You know, and the other thing that we see is that the other reason why people don't initially jump to Narcan is because when they show up to homes where babies are overdosing on drug on drugs, the information is not readily provided to the frontline clinician who's responding that they were exposed to drugs. So people don't just volunteer that information because people are scared of being in trouble. People want to hide the drug addiction. People don't want to want to reveal that. And so, you know, we have children who drop dead and no one's claiming to know anything or people deny drug use and say, there's no way there's no drugs in the home. And then lo and behold, that baby is positive for fentanyl amongst other drugs. And so and, it's very challenging for these people, for people who are responding to, to know what to do. And they, they would get in trouble, right? I mean, if a baby, you know, less than five years old is overdosing on fentanyl, that, that would be considered child abuse or neglect in some sort, don't you think? Yeah. And I guess it depends how you define trouble. Like in the world of child abuse and neglect, there's two different outcomes. There's did a crime occur or was the child in danger um, from uh, abuse or neglect? And is the child safe to go back to that family? So yes, the answer, I guess, to simply put it, yes, they would be in trouble. They could be in trouble from a a adjudicatory standpoint, meaning the parents will be indicated on child abuse or child endangerment. And there could also be a criminal component to it as well related to the drugs and the exposure of the child to drugs. So th- there's there's a lot of different outcomes that can happen when a child is found to have overdosed on a lethal drug. And is that something you do as a child abuse pediatrician? Do you testify in court 
um, for these endangerment cases? We do. So when we are consulted on a child who has overdosed on a drug, we take into account the full history and the full explanation for why this happened. And it depends on the drug. You know, we have children who overdose on marijuana, but marijuana is legal. So is a child, you know, the question then becomes, is a child who got into their parents' legal edibles and is critically ill, the same as a child who got into their parents' fentanyl and is critically ill? They're both drugs, one's legal, one's not, but the child's critically ill in the end. And so sometimes there's, it's really challenging to you know, identify what the risks are and to establish, did supervisionary neglect occur? Did the parents do everything possible to keep the drugs away from the children, such as edibles and marijuana, and the children still got into it? Was it beyond the parents' control? Or were the parents so grossly negligent that these children, it's not safe to be in this house? And these are all case-by-case situations. And these are all things that we have to answer based on individual patients, individual families, and individual circumstances. It's hard to know all that. It's very Um, hard to know what's going on. Yeah. And that's why we Um, rely on our investigative partners. So we on the medical side, you know, we can say, yes, this one-year-old had a near fatality from a fentanyl overdose. And that is indicative of child endangerment of being a, a you know, a clear supervisional neglect and being in the presence of a, a lethal substance, you know, so we can make a medical diagnosis of child abuse. But then the other part comes from law enforcement and child welfare services to decide what happens next. That's interesting. Um, Fentanyl testing, something else I wanted to really um, say thank you to to Children's Hospital and to your efforts in making that happen, um, because we have a campaign going on in San Diego, and we really want it unrolled throughout the entire country, that anytime a drug screen is obtained in a hospital, it should include fentanyl. If if a doctor or a provider is worried about methamphetamine or PCP or marijuana, you should just as much uh, worry about fentanyl, especially with these triple amount of overdoses that are happening. And we want that to be universal and automatic. So um, there was a, a case at, at Children's Hospital, I think that that really brought it to where there was a, a young child who presumably um, was in the hospital from a fentanyl overdose, was in the ICU for a while. And people are in the ICU, they're on a fentanyl drip. And when he passed away, ended up with the medical examiner, the family couldn't be told for sure that it was, he died from fentanyl or not because they did a drug screen when he first came in, it was negative, but nobody tested for fentanyl. And then, you know, the family didn't know what happened and and medical examiner couldn't prove what happened because we actually give fentanyl in the hospital. And since then, now I think children's hospital has fentanyl testing and you're doing it more often. So that's wonderful. It's so it's part of our urine drug screening. So the minute we get urine from a child, we can run that and we can know if it's positive for fentanyl. And do you do that on every drug screen or or only select ones? Every single drug screen. So the screening test contains multiple drugs of abuse. Like you said, methamphetamine, PCP, THC, 
and now fentanyl and fentanyl used to not be on it. So these kids would come back with altered mental status or not breathing and their drug screens would be quote negative. And people would be like, we don't know what's wrong with this child. Well, our prior drug screens would not detect fentanyl. And so no one would give Narcan because there was no, there, there was no positive drug screen, but now Yes, thank you. Thank you to, you know, the toxicology team and the laboratory. We are now able to get a fentanyl result pretty quickly. So any Mm -hmm. child we are now working on a, you know, campaign here and a quality improvement project here, where it's like you said, the ABCs, yes, airway, breathing, circulation, but get that drug test. You have to get urine. So, you know, do what you need to do. Don't forget the D is that drugs, 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 drugs. You need to figure out what's going on. Right. And, so, and I, I've had patients who I'm putting on a ventilator and they want sedation medicines and I want, okay, get the urine so we could test it for fentanyl before we put them on the fentanyl drip. And that's the key too. A lot of drugs of abuse are actually drugs we give to our patients um, while they're in the hospital, while they have a breathing tube in, while they're critically ill. So you have to get the drug test before any of those meds are given, because once they're given, we cannot distinguish between street fentanyl and fentanyl administered in the hospital. Right. Well, I think that you guys are that that program is a gold standard and and that really should be copied um nationwide, not just for kids, but for for adults as well. So I really uh applaud that effort to making making that happen and really you know, uh, learning and improving because we have to adjust to what's, what's happening. And today it's fentanyl and tomorrow maybe something else, but you're, you're dealing with the crisis at hand. Um, so Diana is our caller and she has a great question about, so what is the type of drug pathology it presents in the children's hospital? And, and I could tell you working with adults, number one would be alcohol. Number two would be methamphetamine, um, a lot of suicidality associated and, and depression related to using drugs. And number three, I would think is marijuana, but how, how is it for, for kids? And so the number, let I say babies, is it <laughs> different between babies and teenagers? So if we're looking at young children and let's just say, let's just go with children under five, um, or six, you know, the young children who don't really know what they're doing. The most common ingestion we see by far and away is THC, THC products. There are so many products out there that contain THC, right? The psychedelic ingredient of marijuana and kids are just getting into it. They come, there's this product called Weedos. It's Cheetos, but with marijuana and it looks just like Cheeto packages. So, I mean, this, like this really gets me is, these marijuana companies, they're marketing, they are marketing to children and there's no regulation on this marketing and they're making gummy bears and they're making candy and they're making wiggle worms and they're making cookies and they're making soda pops and soda yeah. pops and weedos. And these edibles look like candy and they look like children's food. And there's zero regulation on what your packaging can look like for products that contain THC. Now, THC can be deadly for children. THC makes young children very sick. And so by far and away, we see exploratory ingestions of children getting into THC containing products that are often just left in parents or caregivers' home. And that's Um, all ages? 
That's, that's, that's all ages. Yes. Most, the ones that are admitted are younger children because they're the ones who become most ill. Um, Incidentally, if we test teenagers for marijuana, we get a lot of positives, but those don't really matter so much from a child protection standpoint, as opposed to the young ones who don't know what they're eating and, and aren't aware of that, what they're eating could cause them harm. So well, what would you say to people who say no one dies of marijuana? I would say children die. Children die. <laughs> I, I would say children can die from it. Children can have long-standing cognitive and behavioral issues from it. Children who are chronically exposed or even exposed briefly to marijuana, there are differences in their cognitive performance, in their um, attention, in their school performances. So maybe no one dies from marijuana, but young children who get into marijuana are at extreme risk for significant morbidity or mortality from getting into that substance. Yeah. And I would say people do die. We've had people die from cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. We've had car accidents and drug driving and psychosis and running into traffic or, or suicide. And um, it'd be, it's just kind of the same thing as like nobody died of one puff of tobacco. <clears throat> and yet we've lost thousands, millions of people to, to tobacco related ill, uh, medical conditions. Right. And, you know, th- this could be, a, a, you know, it could, this could be a whole series in and of itself. Should marijuana products be legal or not? Right. That's a whole different topic. But what I will say is, you know, when they are made legal, I firmly believe that someone needs to be held accountable for how these products are packaged and delivered and marketed to children. Yeah. And they are supposedly the state of California does not allow in in, um, the uh, Bureau of Cannabis Control says that there's no packaging that's allowed to be attractive to children. Um, But uh, on one of my podcasts, uh, we visited a a marijuana, a legal marijuana uh, uh, dispensary, and they definitely had very beautiful packaging that's made to sell and sell to kids if if, if needed. And uh, kids make the best long-term customers because we know addiction starts more in, in at the young age than for adult customers. Yeah. So uh, THC is by far the, the most. Fentanyl is the next most common. It could be a tie between fentanyl and methamphetamine down um, here at the border. So I think that some weeks it's fentanyl and some weeks it's methamphetamine. They kind of are probably neck and neck for um, young children being exposed to that product. Both of those drugs are very dangerous and lethal, um, even in minuscule amounts to children. Right. And and to adults, I mean, it takes two little baby little grains of salt to kill an adult. So (laughs) it's much less for a child. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you see scrometing in your emergency department for children? Say that again. Scrometing. Scrometing. I just like to say that word, scrometing. It stands for screaming and vomiting from cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. (laughs) No, because the children are, they're usually mentally altered. They will vomit. We do see vomiting, but we usually see irritability, um, altered mental status, altered respiratory status, um, 
it seems to affect children's central nervous systems significantly, but the vomiting aspect of it is not as severe as what has been documented in, in the adult literature. And, and that would make sense because the people who develop cannabis hyperemesis syndrome are, have been using it for like 10 years or something. I mean, they've, they're, they started uh, when they were 12 years old, but they're coming in really sick when they're in their 20s. So it's very interesting. I've talked to parents who, when they find their kids using drugs and overdosing our drugs, are are asking for the medical profession to put their child on a 5150 involuntary psychiatric commitment in order for to force them into treatment. Um, we haven't done that so much in California, and I don't know about other parts of the countries that we're, we're, they're thinking about that idea. Um, definitely, we're, we're not able to do that for adults, um, but I'm wondering if you've seen that uh, request um, um, for kids who overdose to, to, to force them into treatment to, to make sure that, you know, it's a, it's a mental problem. They almost died. Can they, can they be made to, to get treatment for that? So it's really a case by case basis when it gets to that level. And that involves significant intervention and consultation, usually from social work, from child and youth services, from the parents, law enforcement is often involved. And so it's not an automatic thing. It's definitely something that is case by case, taking kind of all variables into consideration about what is going on with that child. Yeah, I visited ONDCP, Office of National Drug Control Policy at the White House, really was asking for that, that she wished that her, her child overdosed several times and she was was hoping that that would be a, a way to, to to force intervention. Do you, you know, you're dealing with these kids and these horrific incidences. Do you advise and counsel parents um, as far as uh, drug use or exposure to secondhand smoke? There's a, a, a study just published this um, past week um, that they looked at secondhand smoke compared from a cigarette versus a vaping product versus a joint versus a bowl. And they found that the pollutants from a joint is three and a half times more than a cigarette. So secondhand smoke for marijuana is significant risk. And I know the Pediatric uh, Association um, warns about secondhand smoke for children. Um, but what about um, besides tobacco? Do they do that for marijuana products? Oh, absolutely. Anytime a child comes in contact to the medical system or the welfare system because of drugs, either um, they're drug endangered, meaning they're in a, um, a meth house, their parents are doing IV drugs and unable to take care of them, or they've ingested the drug themselves. You know, we take every opportunity, not just to educate the parents to the best of our ability, but to educate these caregivers who step in when the parents can't, or we educate anyone who's involved with that child in a caregiving capacity, not only on the dangers of being exposed directly to the substance in real time, such as cardiac or respiratory arrest, but we also counsel them on the long-term consequences. There is a lot of literature that shows children exposed to drugs 
have longstanding issues with mental health, with behavioral issues, with cognitive issues, and then subsequently their own substance abuse. And so, yes, we we have to educate on the risks of being exposed that like your child could die. But if your child doesn't die, what does that child's life look like if they've chronically been exposed to secondhand smoke from marijuana or secondhand products of methamphetamine or, or opiates? And so we have to do two types of education and try to make people involved in the children's lives aware. So that's why what we try to do with drug endangered children is we try to get them into early intervention. We try to get them services. We try really early on to put a system in place that will prevent them from falling through the cracks and not getting the services they need uh, to live a a normal life. And you have a happy ending to that story by by taking kids who have drug endangered and and doing these prevention methods. Do you have some good outcomes? Yeah, so absolutely. Um you know, we follow children over time who've been removed from the home and placed with a supportive caregiver. You know, they come back and they see us. We'll see them at 6 months, we'll see them at a year, we'll follow up with their pediatrician. And we know early removal and intervention from a dangerous situation, the children can grow up to be happy and thriving and well. And so it's so dependent, I think, on the prior circumstances, the ability of the parents or the caregivers who are responsible for the child to provide a drug-free home and a drug-free living situation. And so once that can be established, you know, we see phenomenal outcomes. And, and th- that's good. It's nice to see that this intervention, it works and it's not like, oh, well, they're going to just, you know, have a terrible life and end up in foster care and have, you know, and, and, and have this inevitable outcome right. that there is hope. That even if that was around your family history, that does not need to be your destiny. So that's, that's nice to hear. And are you, are you yourself a mom? Oh, I am. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. <laughs> That's great. And, and so looking at those cute, precious babies, what do you think that you're going to teach them? And how old are you going to teach them about drugs? Oh, my gosh. I'm still trying to figure out how to get their socks on in the morning. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still crossing those battles of like, you know, brush your teeth. <laughs> so what right. I think is important for parents to know is it's important to equip children early on with the skills to be good decision makers and to understand safety and to understand body safety and to understand the importance of um, having a strong sense of self-esteem, a strong sense of self-worth, and a strong sense about how to be compassionate um, to the people around you. And I think that if you can kind of instill those values in a child, and, you know, we used to do these the, we used to do these scare tactics. I remember when I was growing up, you know, the scare tactics of don't do drugs. And um, this is your brain on drugs. I, I found it terrifying, but like, 
if you have a gene for addiction, or if you have some family history of it, you're going to need skills and coping skills, and you're going to need to learn ways to fight that. And I think the best way to do that is through education and through knowledge. So trying to inform children starting at a young age about what drugs are, what their presence means, what they can do, um, and how hurtful they can be, you know, I think starting to educate that, but you also have to lead by example, right? We're, we're a drug-free home. So, you know, I don't even have an edible. (laughs) I've never even tried marijuana, truth be told, but, (laughs) but, you know, so whatever you do as a parent leading by example, um, for children, children pick up on everything that we do. So I think for me, it's going to be a combination of teaching early body safety um, and early kind of resilience and leading by example. That's great. And uh, I am so happy that we have you in your community for a resource and definitely um, going to tap into that because uh, that that voice of uh, exposure and prevention is so important um, to our education of the community at large. And do you have advice to Diana who asked a great question about what's going on with uh, with drugs at children's hospitals? Yeah, so some some bad things are going on, but some good things are going on. So the bad things that are happening is we are seeing an increase in children, young children presenting with overdoses of the top three, fentanyl, uh, marijuana, or THC products, and methamphetamine. I think the good things that are happening is we are recognizing this and we are taking steps to address the problem and quickly intervene. And one of the things we already talked about was um, quickly making a new urine drug screen. So we could immediately identify if a child comes in and is positive for fentanyl, we need to go into that home. Other children need to be removed. Those children need to be tested and put in a safe place. And so we are developing systems where we can have rapid, efficient responses to drug endangered children. And so while unfortunately overdoses in young children are increasing, I think there are strong champions and advocates in the community and in hospitals who are creating task forces, doing research and trying to figure out how we can not only prevent this from happening, but um, prevent it from continuing to happen in the future. Yeah, and that's important. And uh, and hospitals partner also with our community prevention partners, um, with the science and education, to really pass on your word. Besides the the patient population that you have, we can reach a, a community at large. So, Diana Edelstein, thank you so much for your question. You must love and care about children to be asking about that. So, I wish you a lot of luck and health to all the children that are in your life. And uh, Dr. Natalie Loud, thank you so much for your advocacy on children, for really having the gold standard in fentanyl testing at Children's Hospital and being an example for the community and our nation in doing that. And uh, collaboration with our healthcare task force in, in you know, from, from a case example to really saving lives uh, by, by this education. And I really look forward to our future collaboration. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be able to talk about this really important topic and 
make people aware that it is an issue and there are things you can do to help. And the last thing I will leave all the listeners with who have their um, delicious gummy edibles, your your children know where they're at. (laughs) You may not think your children know where the THC is, but they do. (laughs) So so keep it it, it in high. Don't don't buy those weedos. Don't Don't buy buy the weedos. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR, Center for Community Research in San Diego, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us on hightruths.com. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us five stars and subscribe so you won't miss any of our informed, packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davy Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev, and we hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.